So last week we started on the first Sunday of Advent, the, um, the Christmas expectation. So each week we're going to focus on a different word. So last week we focused on the word annunciation. This week we're going to talk about proclamation. Next week, humiliation, anticipation, illumination. And then on Christmas Sunday morning, we're going to talk about God's divine revelation. So that's where we're headed uh, today in the next few weeks. And so let's begin uh, today with our, uh, I love this text from the, uh, the book of Luke. And um, we spent some time talking about uh, um, Elizabeth and Zachariah last week, and so I want to kind of focus on uh, Mary and Elizabeth's um, interaction in the Christmas story. So hear these words from uh, Luke, the first chapter, and we're going to start with the 36th verse. And so now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has come to conceive a son, and this is the sixth month of, for her who is said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary said to her, well, here I am, the servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. The angel, then the angel of the Lord departed from her. So in those days, Mary set out and went with haste to Judea town uh, in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and explained with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy and blessed is he who comes, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And then Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my, soul, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of all the servants. Surely for now on and for generations to come will be blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him for generation to generation. He has shown strength in his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones. He has lifted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has set the rich away empty. He has helped his servant of Israel and remitted to these of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I love that story. Amen, amen, and amen. So uh, let's just uh, start out with, I, I thought this is really interesting and kind of a, a definition for proclamation. So if we could put that first slide up about proclamation. So um, proclamation means literally declare something one considers important or with due emphasis. Proclamation is a, well, a public or official announcement, especially one dealing with a matter of great importance, a clear direct de uh, declaration of something. Uh, the the prevalent word used means here when it comes to proclamation, it means to call to one side or to one help. In other words, when, and when you think about someone proclaiming the word, are given a message, the word is supposed to come along with you or come aside, uh, alongside of you. And that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what's very interesting, when I looked this word up this last week, it comes to a, from a biblical standpoint, it's very interesting that it has to do with the, the word exhortation or proclamation or kind of use the word interchangeably in the Bible. And the place that we find this where it first shows, shows up, it's actually in, the, in Luke, the third chapter, the 18th verse, where John the Baptist continues to preach the good news and saying many other things are encouraging people. 
So we have this word proclamation and we have this kind of fundamental, well, um, uh, meaning to it, proclaiming the word, coming along the side of you, word proclamation. So then I started thinking this last week. Okay, so um, let's just think about some of the greatest proclamations ever heard of in the Bible. Okay, there's a lot of them, all right? So for, let me just give you a couple. Here's a couple highlights from like A to Z. So Moses says, who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders, Exodus 15 chapter. Then I found this one from David. And now, O Lord God, keep faith forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promise so that your name will be great forever. And then King Solomon says, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or earth or below. You will keep your covenant of the love with your servants and continue you wholeheartedly in your way. Peter said this, he says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And perhaps here's the greatest one. Jesus says, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with you and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now that is some kind of proclamation, isn't it? So once again, I, I just pulled out like four or five of some of the greatest proclamations that we find in all the Bible. Then I went back and okay, so let's just look at some of the greatest proclamations that we have and, and, and from the Christmas story. And so we have like this, like for the first one, can you put that first slide up maybe? So uh, from Luke, the first chapter, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Number two, can you put the next one up? When the angels heard, uh, had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which is which the Lord has told us about. Put the next one up before. Number three, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. Number four, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star when it was rising and have come to worship him. Matthew, the second chapter. And here's the last one. For nothing will be impossible with God. Can't even on that. So I, I gave you some, pro, greatest, some of the greatest proclamations ever from in the whole Bible. But I think if you go back and look at the Christmas story, I gave you like the top five, one of the top five greatest proclamations that we have. And I, I think maybe I left the best one for last. For nothing will be impossible with God. So I was reflecting upon this little, that little, that one little quote, nothing is impossible with God. And so I started to reflect upon that. And I started thinking about maybe um, two or three different um, things, happenings that have happened like um, um, maybe perhaps in your lifetime, my lifetime, some of the greatest things that they thought literally were absolutely impossible to do. For example, there was a guy named Roger Bannister. And you might remember this guy. Back in 1954, they said it was absolutely impossible that anybody would ever be able to break the four-minute mile bear. But he did it. 
Matter of fact, a sports physiologist told him, he says, you know what, Roger, you shouldn't do it. It's just gonna be, you know, it could be detrimental health and it's literally, it's impossible for, do, for you to do. But he did it, right? So that's the first one. The second one I started thinking about um, was the whole thing about climbing Mount Everest. And so there's uh, Sir um, Ed, uh, Edmund Hillary and his Sherpa. And so once again, many people thought back in, actually it happened in 1953. They thought that no one could ever actually summit Mount Everest but they actually got all the way to the top and made it all the way back down. So the first people that actually recorded to be able to safely be at return. So they, many people thought that was absolutely impossible. And then the third one I thought about this last week was this, when um, uh, Neil Armstrong, you know, put his foot first foot on, on the moon. I mean, once again, you know, can you put that next slide? I mean, they literally thought that was actually impossible, right? And so uh, he said, this is one uh, small step for man, but one giant leap for Mankind, y'all remember that, right? 19, I think it was 1970, I remember it. What year was it? Excuse me, thank you for correcting me. It's close. And so, uh, and then you know what? But all that whole impossible, and you all remember this, you'd be like, man, gosh, are they actually ever gonna be able to accomplish this? But it all started with a vision from one guy. His name was, well, here's a picture of John F. Kennedy. Um, I believe he's at, Rice University, and um, he gave a speech. He says, we're going to the moon. Uh, we have chosen, I think the title that we, we have chosen to go to the moon. So once again, I gave you some examples of life that have happened at experiences of our lifetime that many people thought that these things, Roger Bannister, uh, be able to climb Mount, Mount Everest, be able to go to a man, a man on the moon. I, I mean, these are all things that people literally thought were literally impossible to do. So um, when, as a kid growing up, one of my favorite shows, um, and you all might relate, once again, it dates me. I, I, I know my audience. Does anybody remember, does anybody remember a show by the name of um, um, Gomer Pyle? Anybody remember that? Okay, you know, the whole show, you know? And, and so, um, and so I, I remember, and this is, it was 19, this is actually 1967. I, I think this is probably one of the greatest classic Gomer Pyle uh, episodes that were Ashley's film. And somehow, I don't know why, but this particular one just stuck in my memory, even as a child, right, watching this. So this is a, when Gummer Pyle was actually, I think I got a picture of it. This is when Gummer Pyle was actually sitting in front of the Lincoln Memorial. And um, he had stage fright. He was supposed to sing a song in front of all these thousands of people. And um, he, um, all of a sudden, he lost his voice. And so there was this whole part. He was in this dilemma. And he was completely just a, a, a lost puppy dog. And he goes and actually sits on the front steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And all of a sudden, the park ranger comes up and says, hey, what's going on? Why are you here? And he says, well, I, I can't talk. And then he says, well, tell me a little bit. And, then, and the park ranger says, well, tell me a little bit about it. He says, well, and he talked about him. He was supposed to sing. And, and all these people were counting on him, but he just couldn't do it. And, and so when basically, the park ranger has a come to Jesus talk with Bogumber Pyle. And he says, listen, I, you know, I, I, I felt I had like a little sympathy for you. But listen, the one I really feel sorry for is all the people who could be blessed by you singing, but they're not going to hear it tonight. So what are you going to do? And so... Gomer, the guy leaves, and then all of a sudden he goes up and he begins to read, you know, um, uh, the Gettysburg Address. It's printed by Abraham Lincoln. And he, all of a sudden he finds his voice. And he goes and he actually finds his way back to the big hall and he walks up in the 11th hour and he walks on stage and he sings a song. 
don't know if you remember it, but the name of the song was The Impossible Dream. To dream the impossible dream, to reach the unreachable star. Matter of fact, if you all want something, if you're really bored this afternoon, go Google that on YouTube. Gomer Pyle sings the impossible dream. It is really good. And let me tell you something. Gomer Pyle made a terrible Marine, but he could flat sing. I'm just going to that. Jim Neighbors was a really a gifted singer. And so I just went again, I thought about all the times in my life and reflecting upon life. And I love that. I really love that song to dream the impossible dream. So in this story tonight, today, we have, the, we have Mary and uh, Elizabeth and Angel Gabriel. And the Angel Gabriel has one, I think, one of the greatest quotes we find in the Nativity story. He says, with God, nothing is really impossible. I believe that. So um, I, I was reading this last week and I, I found um, a message that I thought was pretty good. And, and the, the particular person talked about um, um, about the, a divine plan that is put into motion, a divine plan is communicated and explained, and a divine plan that is obeyed. And I thought, that's actually pretty good. So, you know, I think about the idea of the divine plan is when you think about Gabriel, um, when, when Gabriel comes and, and you look at um, the story of Zachari- Zachariah and, and Elizabeth, I mean, they were impossible dreamers, weren't they? And then I think about Mary and Joseph, and once again, the part of the story that they were impossible dreamers. So the idea of this whole thing about divine plan put into motion, and so I thought this is actually interesting. So I have a couple of key thoughts here, and I'm, I'm just kind of some teaching points. So like a divine plan put into motion, Mary's a virgin, and she's probably somewhere between 12 and 14 years old, which is kind of amazing, isn't that? Um, she's a peasant, so in other words, she's a lower class. In other words, Mary is, ain't high society. She's not. Um, Gabriel shows up in Nazareth, and once well, again, Nazareth, Nazareth was so small that it wasn't even on the map, okay? So you have, you know, the angel Gabriel coming, God showing up to a peasant girl who's about 13 years old in a know-nothing place. It's amazing, isn't it? And then you have uh, Mary means betrothed to Joseph. In other words, usually it's a year-long engagement. We all, some of you all know that. And so they were having no sexual relationships, um, any sexual relations during that time. They were engaged until they actually had um, their marriage ceremony. But actually during that time, once they engaged them, it was set in motion, they were actually legally married. So this was important. And they, they were, this is a big deal. And then also, um, in the last, we assume that Joseph is a little bit older, but we also find that, Joseph was a righteous man, like Elizabeth, um, like Zachariah. So this is part of the story. Can you put that next slide up if you would? So we have that, so we have the divine man. Then we have Elizabeth. And so we, Elizabeth is about, well, once again, is six months pregnant when Mary becomes pregnant with Jesus. Um, Elizabeth's pregnant seems to be impossible. This is a really key point. So Mary's pregnancy is impossible, which defies logic and reason. Um, Elizabeth's pregnancy just seems, just seems to be impossible because she's so way up in years and she's been barren for years and years and years. So this seems to be impossible, but what happens with Mary is this completely defies logic. But it just goes to show, and I added this, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Can I admit all that, right? And then you have this, this idea that, once again, obedience to God, that God's will for your life. In other words, when we're obedient to God's word in our life, impossible becomes possible. And once again, I put this in, I've experienced it. 
So let me ask you something. When you think about when God, things that God's worked in your life and you can look back in your life and you say, you know what? That would literally be impossible. I mean, look back at your life and think at, at, when you're standing at that certain point in your life or maybe that part in your history of your own personal history of your life, you think, and you're looking back and you think, you know what? There is no way that this could ever happen. So for, a, for example, I went back and this is my own personal impossibles, right? I mean, you all are some, I think sometimes we all have our own impossible dreams, right? To reach the unreachable stars. So I went back, actually I was thinking about my message about three o'clock in the morning, I woke up and I said, you know what, I I need to bring these. And I've actually brought these before. These are my report cards from elementary school. I still, my mother kept them and I have them. So in fourth grade, I went back and I looked on my report card and I was at the second grade reading level. I was in fourth grade, but I was reading at second grade. That's where I was at. So if someone had said to me, Harold Ray, when I was 10 years old, and said, you know what, someday that you're gonna actually have a master's degree from Emory University? Never would have thought that. Impossible. Because I was reading at second grade level. Um, I remember at age of 26, I remember I was getting up in years, 26, <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I'm ever gonna meet the right girl. I mean, you know, nowadays, I mean, I was starting to panic. I'm like, you know, I should be married by now. I'm 26 years old. Am I gonna find anybody? And, and so nowadays, my kids are like, well, almost, they're all, some of them are knocking on 30. I mean, it's not even like on their radar yet. You know, you know, you know you might, might start thinking about this, right? But you know, it's a different generation. The kids look at things differently, right? But when I was 26, I'm thinking, you know what? Am I ever gonna find someone? And I finally found one and I, someone and, I, and if someone had said, you know what? You're not only gonna marry a beautiful girl and you beautiful, but you're gonna have five kids. And I thought, that's impossible, <laughs> right? But with God, all things are possible. And I remember back in 1990, true story. Um, I was going before the Board of Ordained Ministry and um, I failed miserably. And I, I remember at that time when you, um, we got together, you had to actually, mine boards were at night, and so you had to stay all night and you couldn't leave until the next day. And so I didn't sleep at all that night. And I remember I had to come to Jesus with Jesus and I was sitting on the dock at the um, Life Enrichment Center over in Leesburg, just down the road. And um, looking at the cross, it was quiet. I was just by myself. It was just me and the mosquitoes. And, um, and we had a talk. And I just, if someone had told me that night when I felt like such a failure that someday I'd have an opportunity to be able to pastor a church with 3,000 people, I would have said, that's impossible. Three little episodes in my life. Fourth grade, I was reading the second grade level. 26, never thinking I was ever gonna get married and have any kids. And I really never, I never dreamt that I'd actually ever make it as a pastor. Wow. So here's here's the beautiful thing is that I, I think there's some truth to be told in our real life stories. If you go back, I just gave you three heralds, but you know, everybody in this room has gone through something in their life and you say, you know what? Um, there is something about with God, all things are possible. And there is something to be said about to dream the impossible dream. 
So what's very interesting about these, these stories, and so I, I once again, I, I like those, there's some similarities and differences, and so let me just teach for a second. I think we had this slide about similarities and differences. So here's some similarities. So here's some things, let me just teach for a second about the story is that, so Gabriel shows up in both stories, right? Um, so, and this, there's this don't be afraid part, you know? And so then they have, um, they have all have found favor with God, there is this uh, annunciation of what's gonna happening, it's gonna happen. There's this, the naming of the child in both stories. So Gabriel you know, tells Joseph that he's gonna name his son Jesus. There's a name about Zachariah and he's gonna name his son John. There is the, the future role of the child that is connected to scripture, all this ties together. And then both ask a question, both Mary, and Elizabeth say, you know, how, or, and Zachariah say, how can this be? That's interesting. So, he, but, so the differences there are that Gabriel's announcement is an answer to prayer. Um, so Mary's annunciation comes out of the blue, right? So, so we, the, there's some differences when she taught, when, when you look at um, uh, the story about Elizabeth, you know, they've been praying for this child. They're hoping and the, you know, she was getting up in years, but so they, there's this, this first part is an answer to prayer. But the second one, when, when Gabriel comes and tells Mary that, you know, she's gonna have this child, this one comes completely out of blue. The first miracle was a miracle of older parents, which is a big miracle. The second one is a miracle of a young virgin, Mary, who is even a bigger miracle. See the difference? So one's a big miracle, but one's even a bigger miracle. And the key point as the story builds is at every turn, everybody, this is the kind of thing that we'll find in Luke, Jesus would be greater than the one who prepared the way. That's important for Luke to everybody understand that. So this story builds and there's some similarities and some differences, but everybody, what Luke really wants to know, everybody needs to be aware that Jesus is the one who's gonna be greater than the one who comes to prepare the way. Now, I thought this was really interesting is that if you go back and look at the story that um, there are what we call agents in the story. So Mary's seen as an agent in the story. Elizabeth and Zachariah are seen agents in the story. The wise men are seen agents in the story. The shepherds are seen as agents in the story. They're all agents, somehow part of bringing the whole story together, okay? But what Luke really wants us all to know is the main central figure behind the whole thing is Almighty God, the God of Israel. So, you know, it's beautiful when you look and break all this story down because you have Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth, Zechariah and the wise men. These are all part, these are all moving parts of the story. They got how you, God uses these characters, but what, what the central, the central figure in this whole story is the power of a gracious God. God is the central figure. I thought this is also very interesting. I thought this is a very powerful quote this week. It says, God's will is not always discovered in the dramatic invitation, but instead through simple obedience. I like that. God's will is not always discovered in dramatic invitation, but instead of through a simple obedience. And so what I, what I love about Mary and this story is that once again, she just says, you know, here I am, um, I'm just, use me. Um, and once again, I have found this in my life as well, is that, you know what, God doesn't always come in lightning bolts. Sometimes God just 
comes and he sets up camp in our life and we just continue to follow his way and it's not always about, it's just kind of keeping the course one day at a time and discovering God's great invitation in life. Okay, so the second part is God, what do we call divine, God's divine plan communicated. And so here's the second part. And so when you think about God's divine plan communicated, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. There is nothing, I love this. There is nothing in Mary's life that warrants God's favor, but God finds favor in her. Which, once again, isn't this true for all of us that somehow in life we're all unworthy? Can amen on that? Uh, that this is part of the truth that we find that even though God, is she, she hasn't done anything to merit favor, but yet God finds favor here, but we're all unworthy and we all need God's grace and becomes, because the faith is, this is all possible. And then I, I found this, this interesting quote this last week and I was reading the message on someone else had prepared. He called it about, he referred to this part of the story as the divine ultrasound. I never thought about that. And that kind of hit me, you know, a divine, in other words, he says, he gives, in other words, the story, he gives specifics, Lucas, he gives specifics to Mary, Angel Gabriel, like an ultrasound would give parents specifics of concern in their child. Now, let me tell you something. I've had five kids. And one of the things I learned really quickly is you never missed an ultrasound with Mrs. Hendrick. You know, you're going to be there. You know, and so I, once again, you go and you go look at the screen and, and we didn't find out about any of our kids. You know, we were kind of old school. You know, you could find out the sex of the child. Nowadays, every, almost everybody does that nowadays, but we didn't, we, we were old fashioned. Anybody else old fashioned like me? You know, okay. And, and so, you know, you kind of look in to see, you know, maybe what the sex of the child is and the ultrasound. But let me tell you something, you can't really tell unless you're an expert, I'm just telling you. And so, and so the, uh, what I love about this story is he talks about the specifics of this story. And, and he lays out the specifics of the story. And, and then I love, what I, I love what also I love about this story is how the Holy Spirit is connected to God. That, that once again, that Mary's child is ultimately God's child. Because how do we know that? Because once again, we find reference after reference. Of it. Jesus is the son of the most high. Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the son of God. And so when we look at these terms from a biblical standpoint, what I love about that is it all points to one thing. We believe that Jesus Christ is incarnate. Can I on that? The incarnation of Almighty God. Jesus Christ, fully human and fully divine. I, what I, I love about the story, once again, is that, you know, Gabriel's sitting down. I can just imagine Gabriel sitting down with Mary. And Mary, he says, you know, greetings for everyone. You found favor with God. And, and so Mary just, you know, sits down and she's a little bit overwhelmed. Don't be afraid. And Mary puts her arm, Gabriel puts his arm around and he says, Mary, we need to have a talk. And, and, and so he, she, he just lays the whole thing out for her. And what's beautiful about the whole story is that, you know, she could have walked, but she didn't. Matter of fact, if you go look at the detail in this story is that, that um, Gabriel doesn't leave until he gets an answer. And so Mary finally, and I just read this whole proclamation. It's, it's pretty amazing to be able to think about um, where she was coming from and um, being so young and yet, she says, Lord, you know, I, what I, one of the things I love about Mary in this story is that she's herself as a servant, not only as an agent in the story, but she sees herself as a servant. 
So then she, um, we find, after she finds this news out, and I think this is a really important part of the story, um, is that she, got, and the Bible says she went with haste in the sixth month. Well, in the sixth month of, once again, what does that mean? In the sixth month of, if you go back and read the story, it, it appears it's the sixth month of Elizabeth's um, pregnancy. So she has, so when Mary finds out that she's pregnant, what she does, the first thing that she does is she, she goes to someone who's a confidant, someone who's older and wiser. And um, she ends up going to see Elizabeth, which is actually not an easy journey. Matter of fact, can you put that map up for a second? Let me just share and teach for a second. So um, um, Nazareth is way up here. And then she would have had to go all the way. And by the way, this is not straight. Being the reason why she didn't go straight is because this is Samaria. You didn't go through Samaria. She had to go around Samaria. And so they, she finds her way down towards Jerusalem and Jerusalem is where Elizabeth, and near Jerusalem is where Zachariah and, um, and um, here we go, that's where they lived. And so um, I thought it was interesting that she had to go all that way and think about that, that was quite a trek, right? 80, 80 miles. I mean, kind of maybe she was going through motion sickness Maybe she's got, you know, morning sickness. But she was determined that she had to go see Elizabeth. What's also very interesting about the story is that um, Elizabeth was actually um, in seclusion for five months. wonder why that was. This is put a humanist. Maybe it's because she, once again, maybe she was afraid that maybe she was going to miscarry. I mean, I wonder how many miscarriages Elizabeth had in her lifetime. Think about that. So she was in seclu- seclusion for five months. And what I thought it was really interesting is that, and here, maybe this is the point in which, you ready? Maybe this is the point that Luke wants us to get it, is you know what? We need each other. I mean, when you, maybe you're facing some kind of challenge in our life, and I think that's one of the beautiful things that we have in the life of the church, and I think that's one of the reasons why we have a church, is in your hour of need, that we need to know that people love us and we're there to support each other. And that's why I just love the church. That's why I'm grateful to be a part of a church that people genuinely care and love me and I can care and love for you. And we have a staff that cares and loves you. We have all kinds of people prepared to care and love for you. And so I think one of the greatest little parts of the story, if you look back and read between the lines, is that when Elizabeth, when Mary was kind of searching and trying to figure this out, she realized she went to someone that she really needed so she makes that 80-mile track to go see her cousin Elizabeth. And guess what? Once Mary shows up, all of a sudden, it's, you get the feeling that Elizabeth is pulled out of her seclusion. They needed each other. Here's a second little part of this little story, and I think this is really important also. Not only do I think that we need each other, but I also I think, once again, I think the beautiful thing in this story is that Jesus brings people together. Came in on that. I mean, this is the beautiful place. So the whole, how this whole thing kind of unfolds is that the reason why Mary has to go see Elizabeth is because she's got this child in her womb, right? And what's a beautiful part of the story is that Jesus is always trying to bring us together. I mean, he brings the wise men together. He brings the shepherds together. He brings 
By the way, it looks at one point in the story that Jesus is going to drive a wedge between Mary and Joseph, but ultimately Jesus brings Mary and Joseph together in a very profound way. Don't miss the detail. So I'll never forget, you know, once again, you know what's interesting how Jesus can be so threatened to some people. Jesus didn't come to divide us. Jesus came to unite us. Can we on that? But once again, sometimes the word, even just mentioning the word Jesus, some people are, oh, you know, don't tell me about Jesus. I, I don't want to hear about Jesus. I don't want to hear anything about Jesus. And it's interesting. You just bring up the name Jesus in some company, and it just seems to be threatened to some people. I'll never forget one day back about 20-something years ago, I was um, asked to do the, at the Chamber of Commerce, the, uh, the, one of the city councilmen was in my church, and he says, here, would you come and do the prayer for us at the chamber? And I said, well, absolutely, I'd be happy to do that. And then he gave me these words of advice. He says, you know, there's going to be Jewish people there. There's going to be Muslim people there. There's going to be Christian people there. You know, it's kind of like a, a melting pot of lots of different people. He says, you know what? When you do your prayer, make sure you kind of make sure it's kind of like, you know, not too Jesus-y, you know. And I said, well, okay, I understand that. I get it. I'll try to be respectful of that. But then at the very end, I just said, in Jesus' name, we pray, Amen. I mean, I just said it. And it was almost, I, I didn't even think about it. It was so just instantaneous. Guess what? They never invited me back. <laughs> they didn't. But you see, the thing about Jesus, sometimes Jesus, just the mere words of Jesus can be so light to threatening to some people. But once again, Jesus didn't come to divide us. Jesus came to unite us. So I close with this. Uh, I, I love this last little part of the story today and then we'll have communion. And, and it's this, this thing about Jesus's birthday and it comes on, obviously, what's the day of Jesus's birthday we celebrate? Uh, December the 25th. So can you put that one slide up about Jesus's birthday? I think it's a little bit further down the road. And so, so here's the interesting. Jesus's birthday falls on 25th. And so what's very interesting is the, the birthdays of Jesus and John the Baptist all fall along with the winter and summer solstice. And it has to do with light. You go back and look at the history where they brought these dates together. So we have uh, John the Baptist's birthday. Uh, traditionally, it's celebrated on June 24th, summer solstice, uh, December 25th, winter. And what has everything to do, once again, I, I preached a sermon last year on uh, Christmas Eve because what's beautiful, once we get to Christmas and we're pushing towards more and more light and every day, isn't it? Once we get through winter sauces, then we're pushing, we're pushing from a darkness towards light. I love that imagery. And so then you go back, and if you push back to Jesus' birthday, the conception of Jesus' birthday is actually on March the 25th, and March the 25th celebrates, of all days, New Creation Day. I love that. March the 25th. What did Jesus say? Jesus, not only we have come to be able to celebrate this child during the Christmas season, that Jesus is the embodiment of a brand new creation. But Jesus, once again, is the culmination of Jesus being the light of the world and bringing a new light in our lives, but also the idea, once again, he says, I'm gonna give you a brand new covenant. I'm gonna give you a brand new command. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. When you accept Jesus into your heart, everything becomes brand new. And all of a sudden, things that you thought maybe could never be possible actually can be possible. 
And here's the key word when it comes to things about life and once in having faith and being obedient is the word hope. Come in on that. And so I'm not talking about kind of some kind of false hope. And I'm not talking about some kind of necessarily in life, a guaranteed hope, because once again, many of us in the room have gone through cancer and you see, you know, we can have hope, right? But there's not, I can guarantee you this, not everybody, I, can, I guarantee you this, we're not all gonna live forever here on earth, but we are gonna live forever with Jesus Christ. Now I can guarantee we're not gonna live all forever on here, but we are gonna live forever. That's what I can guarantee, right? And I came here to give you false hope. There's an idea about that, but I am here to tell you when I think about the Christmas story, it is all about hope. The hope of everlasting life with Jesus Christ. So I close with this final word before we experience the new covenant together, breaking the bread. And the words of that great theologian, Gomer Pyle, Shazam.